Amen. Happy Easter to you. Uh, We've had to, as you can imagine, we've had to recreate and rethink a lot of the ways we go about doing church, but I celebrate this morning that at no point over the last month have we had to rethink how this story goes or the foundation that we're building everything in our lives on. This story doesn't change. The death, burial, and resurrection is the best news the world has has ever heard, and it, it should change everything we do. Uh, for Sycamore View, thank you for tuning in today. For those outside of the Sycamore View family, we're thankful that you're here uh, with us. Uh, for Sycamore View, I want to remind you of a couple of things. If you chose to dress up today, we've asked you just to take a picture and, and post that on your social media feeds and, and tag us to that. And we've also encouraged you to participate in a form of cardboard testimony. You should have received an email from me yesterday where we're just asking you on a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper just to write out what your testimony is. I sent some examples yesterday, so check that out, and we'd love for you to participate. We're going to put together a post-Easter video just celebrating the many testimonies of what God has done and is in the process of doing in the lives of people here in our church. I want to acknowledge today that I know there's some of you, many of you, maybe many of you, who are sitting in living rooms and in homes and wherever else you may be. And some of you are grieving. This is the first Easter without a loved one. I think right now of the Colliers and the Montgomerys, and I, I think of Pat Sutton. I think of Donna Davenport and her, and her dad, um, and the Cavenders. And I, I should probably quit right now because I know I'm going to forget some people. But I, this is not how we want to celebrate Easter. We want to be with the people we love, singing the songs, taking communion. But may the presence and power of God meet you right there where you are. I also want to acknowledge and thank those of you, whether you're inside the Sycamore you church family, whether you're here as a a member with us or wherever you are, for those of you serving in hospitals and clinics and grocery stores and restaurants and and as many of us are trying to honor staying safe and sheltering in place and safe at home, the what you are doing for, for our world right now, we thank you so much. I was talking to a friend just the other day who's recovering from COVID-19 and what they told me was is they can't wait to get better so they can go right back into the hospital and clinic where they can serve people. And I just love how God is using people all over the world. So thank you. Um, uh, Let me make sure there wasn't any other, just uh, some Sycamore View stuff going on. No. Okay, so here we go. That first Easter morning, people didn't, they didn't wake up full of excitement or joy in their spirit. They woke up and there was paranoia and there was anxiety and there was fear. In fact, the Bible tells us for for those apostles, they had locked themselves in a house they sheltered in place on their own. They were, it, the Bible tells you, they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that what just happened to Jesus a few days before was about to happen to them. So they're locked in a house. That first Sunday morning, you had women who went to the tomb and women who were out there being adventurous, but many of the men, the apostles, were locked in a home. That first Easter morning didn't begin with excitement and anticipation and Jesus, he's alive because he said he was going to be alive a few days after. It didn't begin with that. It began with fear and uncertainty which is kind of where many of us woke up this morning. There's just uncertainty and maybe fear and and what what is the future going to look like? But something is true today that we can bank on is that that morning, about 2,000 years ago, the breath of God came. 
And I don't know what that breath of God was like at first. I don't know if the first breath Jesus took after being dead for a few days, if it was like a, a shot to him where he just like jumped out of bed, like gasping for air, or if it was that slow breath that comes to you after you've woken up from a two or three hour Sunday afternoon nap and it was just a slow, gentle breath. I don't know. I just know when the breath of God came into Jesus and Jesus was alive. I'm sure Jesus sat up and Jesus was like, God did it. God did it. We won. Death has been defeated. Sin cannot have a permanent hold on people. That cancer and COVID-19, that all things like that are temporary. They have a lifespan. The, the clock is ticking on injustice now. That Jesus knew he arose in victory. He died in defeat, but he arose in victory. The breath of God gave. And I want to talk just for a moment about the breath of God because the breath of God is there when life begins. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says that when God formed and made human beings, it says he breathed the breath of life into them. In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, it says when Jesus rose from the dead, he met with the apostles and what he told them was, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And what Jesus said right after that, the Bible tells us, it says Jesus breathed on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Now, right now we're living in a time where we don't want anybody to breathe on us or anywhere around us. Whether we're out in grocery stores or whether we have to get outside of our home or even in our home with the people who are there, I, I don't know about it, I don't like to be breathed on. And I got two boys who have bad hygiene and stuff and there have been plenty of days over the last few days that early afternoon, I'm like, guys, have, have you brushed your teeth yet today? get to the bathroom, get your Crest toothpaste, go brush your teeth. Like, I just, I don't like to be breathed on. All of you can think of at least one person in your life who, who drinks multiple cups of coffee every morning with no mint, no gum, and you, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're probably that person. We don't like to be breathed on. But throughout the Bible, it talks about the breath of God coming. I bet you can know, I bet you know the feeling of having the breath knocked out of you. Some of you know the feeling of having a child or being in a delivery room where you're trying to help someone breathe. And many of you I've sat with and I've prayed with and over the last few weeks in which my, my encouragement to you is breathe. Take time every day where you can sit with God and just breathe. Breathe. Right? Settle us down. Just breathe. So this morning I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and join me not in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 37. The Old Testament doesn't talk a lot about resurrection. There, there aren't a lot of places in the Old Testament that talk about the resurrection power of God or God bringing the dead back to life. But we're going to read this as people who've been shaped and formed by Jesus, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Exodus, uh, Ezekiel 37 is one of these places. And the central memorial the, uh, in Jerusalem, where every year they honor the Holocaust survivors and the Holocaust story. And every year when they get together in Jerusalem to honor what happened at the Holocaust and lives that were lost, the, the only place in the Bible that's read every single year is Ezekiel 37. And it's this vision that comes to us, this story about the dry bones. Now, let me begin with this, okay? Ezekiel's probably not a book in the Bible you need to go read right now. Ezekiel 1 through 32, it is dark, it's depressing, there's a lot of anxiety in there. 
And, and Ezekiel chapter 9 through 11 are three of the saddest, hardest chapters in the entire Bible to read. In Ezekiel 9 through 11, basically what God does is God comes to his people because God's people have been evil over and over again. They keep choosing evil and God keeps redeeming and they keep going after idols and God keeps redeeming. So in Ezekiel 9 through 11, God finally says, hey, I've had enough. I'm done. And it's not that God was bored. It's that God was just done with his people. In Ezekiel 9 through 11, it says God removed his presence from the temple. And the people knew it. God was saying, I'm done with you. I can't take it anymore. Your idolatry and your violence. Those are the two things the Bible is very specific about in Ezekiel. Their idolatry and their violence had upset God so much. God just put his hands up and was like, I'm done. I'm walking out the door. In Ezekiel 1 through 32, it's dark. So when some of you have reached out to me and you're like, hey, give me something encouraging to read that can uplift my, my spirit right now through this time. I have not sent any of you to the book of Ezekiel. I haven't sent any of you to the book of Leviticus. I haven't sent you to Jeremiah. Though Casey told me a month ago, Casey said, hey, I'm going to start this new Bible study for the season of Lent leading up to Easter. And I said, okay, baby, what is it, what is it about? And she said, it's a Bible study of the book of Jeremiah. And I was like, baby, don't do it. Not, not Jeremiah. It's depressing. There's so much anxiety in there. There's some good news, but it's, it's so dark. But she's done it, and the word of God is performed. But Ezekiel 1 through 32 is dark. It's hard to read. But in Ezekiel 33, there's a turn. Because with God, any time in the Bible you read about seasons of idolatry or seasons of plagues or diseases or, or what feels like separation from God, there, there's, there's always a turn where there's this pivot, there's this fresh movement of God that's going to come and maybe that's going to happen or maybe it is happening in your life right now that there's this fresh movement of God that God's about to do a new thing and God's about to restore. So, so God comes in Ezekiel 33 and God begins to announcing that, hey, there's this fresh move, something new is happening. In Ezekiel 36, verse 33 through 36, it says this. Here's what the Lord, the God says. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, from all your evil, I will cause the towns to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. The land that was desolate will be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined towns are now inhabited and fortified. And then the nations that are left all around you shall know that the Lord, that I, the Lord, that I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I'm going to do it. God announces there's this fresh move. And I don't know what's happening in your life right now with you and God, but I want to encourage you. Will you open your eyes and lift up your eyes and, and, and lift up your faith that, that this may be a moment where, where God's going to do a fresh thing in your life right now. Not when all this is over, not when we get on the other side, but right now the movement of God may be happening in your life. And in here there's a reference to the Garden of Eden. Now, the, the Old Testament doesn't refer back to the Garden of Eden much. But Ezekiel talks about the Garden of Eden. If you were to add up in the Old Testament how many references to the Garden of Eden there are, Ezekiel has half of them. And all of them but one are in a positive light. So the way Ezekiel talks about the Garden of Eden, isn't that the Garden of Eden is where everything went bad? The way Ezekiel talks about the Garden of Eden is when Ezekiel wants to make a point about restoration and redemption and this new thing that God's going to do, what Ezekiel refers back to is, hey, remember when the garden was something that God cultivated and God set in motion and it was good and it was in harmony? That's what God, God's going to do again. 
He's going to restore us like that. And it's his promise right here. In Ezekiel 36, right there at the end, is that God's going to come and he's going to restore and he's going to rebuild. The restoration's going to happen. Now, this is about God reaching out and God restoring. It's not about us trying to, trying to straighten everything out and then find where God's going to fit into that. It's that God's going to come and God's going to do something. And we get to be a part of what God's doing. The whole idea of restoration and rebuilding means that something was broken and has to be rest, restored or rebuilt. I told you last week that a couple of weeks ago I was watching The Greatest Show and, and, I, and I kind of lost it in it. And every once in a while, I, I get a little sensitive when it comes to some shows. And this does not happen to me all the time, but there are a few shows I can think of that have made me cry before. I remember shedding some tears in Shawshank Redemption. I remember going to a movie theater with Casey to watch the movie The Notebook, and we ugly cried in the theater. Well, Casey, didn't, Casey doesn't ugly do anything, okay? I was ugly crying, but it was one of those where, like, shoulders were bouncing. We were crying so hard. I, I remember shedding tears in two episodes of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, okay? When, when his dad came back, and they were, there, there was, had been tension in this father-son relationship in the last episode of Fresh Prince. I remember... The, the shedding tears in some commercials that whenever there's a special Olympics commercial or one of those commercials or documentaries about a, a someone from the military coming back and they, they're reunited with their family whether it's in a school or in, outside of a home or at a ball game it's I can get emotional I, I watched Kobe Bryant's funeral a little over a month, month ago and I remember shedding a few tears in it I can remember crying some whenever Casey and I would watch The Biggest Loser sitting on a couch, eating Cheetos, like many of you have watched The Biggest Loser too. but some of those narratives of the things that people in their lives are overcoming it. But, and then I can think of the, the, the show Extreme Home Makeover. And if you've never seen Extreme Home Makeover, the title says it all. That's what the show is about. They're going to go into homes and they're going to redo them. Now, this is a show that there's some, something happened in people's lives. So they're either dealing with cancer or an illness or they're overcoming something or there have been a death in a family or, or some, something that people were down and they needed to be lifted up. So, so here they are. But there's a decision that had to be made in every episode of Extreme Home Makeover. Are they going to rebuild and restore what's there? Or are they going to tear down and start new? So is the foundation steady enough and can they rework what's already there or do they need to do something brand new? So what you see over an hour episode of Extremo Makeover is that there are times when they bring in a crew and they start fresh. And then there are times when they come in and the foundation's there. They're just going to restore what's, they're, they're going to restore what, what's there. And I don't know what's going to happen in your life in the months to come. Because some of you right now, you're like, I just want life to return like what it was like in January. And for some of you, it may do that. Jobs might be the same. Your family's not going to be touched. Maybe life for you, months from now, weeks from now, whenever all this passes, maybe it's going to return and be like what it was in January. Maybe God's going to restore a new thing that God's going to do. But either way, whether it's God doing a new thing in your life or restoring your life, God's in your life. Either way, God's going to be in it. God's going to be redeeming. So here's what the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 37. Here's what God says. God says, I'm going to let my people ask me to do this for them. 
Some of your versions say that God's going to yield to the plea of his people. It's God saying, I'm going to invite you to invite me to help restore and redeem your life. Jesus does this sometimes when Jesus will say, what do you want me to do for you? That there are times where God wants us to articulate the desires of our heart. So here's God saying, here's what I'm going to do to my people. I'm going to ask them. I'm going to let them ask me to do this mighty act in their lives. And then we get to chapter 37. It's a vision that comes to Ezekiel in the first few verses. Here's the plan. So Ezekiel 37 verse 1 says this, The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Now this is a vision Ezekiel has. Now in this vision, it's a valley of bones. Now a lot of people wouldn't need a vision for them to see a valley of bones. It's a time when there were wars and battles were fought with hand-to-hand combat. So this would happen sometimes when bodies would be left in valleys and left in places where there had been wars. But in the vision, he's there in a valley. They're dry bones. They're they're full of bones. In verse 2, he led me all around them and there were very many uh, lying in the valley. And they were very dry, which lets you know that in this vision, it's not like something had just happened. It had taken months, maybe years, this wasting away. So these aren't bones, that they're dry. And he said to me, mortal, human being, can these bones live? And I love his answer. God, only you know. Like, only you know. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will lay tendons on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you will live and you will know that I am the Lord. That's the plan. This is what... God is inviting Ezekiel into a vision. And in the vision, here's what the prophecy is going to be about. is things coming back together and breath being in them. So then in verse 7, here's the prophecy. So I prophesied. As I had been commanded, I prophesied. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise and rattling and bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and there were tendons on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. So the plan almost worked. The prophecy almost worked, but the plan of God is never for something just to look like it's alive. It's not just to look like you're alive. It's that you come fully alive. And here, these things were coming to life. They resembled life, but there was no breath in them. So then God said this, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. They stood on their feet, and it was a vast multitude. It was this vast army. So so for God, what he was doing is he's giving them a vision. That it's not just God putting me back together or Kip back together or Laura back together or Jim Hinkle back together. It's that God is putting get together this mighty army, this force that we are coming together to be about the movement of God. And then watch what God does. Here's God right here, verse 11. He said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And just for the times we're living in right now, right now it's, hey, for Christians all over the world who are going through COVID-19, for Christians who are living in a season right now of uncertainty. For, for Here's the word. Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We're cut off completely. Like everything around us right now doesn't seem to make sense. Therefore, you prophesy and you say to them, here's what God's about to do. I'm going to open up your graves 
and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord when I open graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will live, and I will, replace, and I will place you on your soil, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. When it comes to God saving people, God doesn't just go and find people who are drowning and then bring them to the surface and then put a life jacket on them and wish them luck for the rest of their lives. As if to say, you're alive, just be happy. Now, now tread water right there. When God comes to save people, he wants to breathe a breath of life and bring them to life in every way imaginable. God's not just putting people back together and bones together. God is breathing life in them and breathing life in us to live even in this time as people who are fully alive in God. And as we read this, as Christians, as we read this, as people who follow Jesus, we see that what God did for Jesus and what God did for these dry bones is what God is still doing today in us and all around us. God is restoring people. Last September, we lost a woman in our church here, Pat Simon. Pat was a dear friend of many of ours. Pat was a woman full of the Holy Spirit. I remember there would be Sundays, I would be right here in this place preaching. And if there was a moment when I just needed to find a face of someone who I knew that is a person filled with the Spirit of God, just to encourage my spirit as I was bringing the word for people, I would look out and I would find Pat Simon. In September, she she came down with a... She'd been sick for a long time and we knew Pat didn't have much time to live. I went to Pat's house. She was there on, there was hospice care, and I was going, and I just wanted to sit with her. And I, I got there, and Pat was asleep. She, she wasn't awake much during, during those last few days of her life. And I showed up, and her sister Kathy came out to the porch, and Kathy told me Pat was asleep. And they were hesitant to wake her up, but Kathy and I sat there, and we talked for a while. And before I left, Kathy said, let me go see if Pat's awake. And Pat was awake, and she, she wanted to see me. So I went, and I sat down with her. As I sat down, I just... She started asking me all kinds of questions. She started asking me questions about what heaven was going to be like and asking me questions about God's grace. And I remember I just asked her, because part of Pat's story is that for so long in her life, she was just an angry woman, just didn't have a, I mean, she, she was a believer, but just didn't have a heart for God. And she said about 10 years before, before that moment, there was just this change in her life. And I remember sitting there, I was just holding her hand, and I said, Pat, what happened? What did God do to you? And she began to bear witness to God just waking her up in life and revealing to her that so long you've lived without joy, but there's another way you've got to live. So she lived the last 10 years, decade of her life as a woman full of the Spirit of God. And as I was leaving, I said, I'm going to pray over you. And I laid my hands on her and I prayed. And there was part of my prayer that was asking God for healing. And then part of the prayer that was just, God, just welcome my sister into your eternal kingdom. And after praying, I left. I kissed her on the forehead. And as I rounded her bed to leave, because I had to get in my car and drive to Harding School of Theology, where I was about to speak at a chapel service, Pat said, she held up her hand. She said, Josh, wait, 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 wait. Before you leave, I think God just gave me a word for you. Sit down. She didn't say, please sit down. She said, sit down. And if a dying woman ever looks at you and says, I have a word from God for you, sit down. It doesn't matter where you need to go, you sit down. I sat down. 
impact. She said, here's, here's the word that I think God has for you. She said, Josh, you have a tender heart. And what God wants you to know is tender hearts break easy. And she said, I bet your heart gets broken quite a bit, doesn't it? And she said, there are two things I think God wants you to know today. She said, just as you were praying, these came to me, and I'm just sharing them with you. She said, one is this, that God wants you to know that having a tender heart is a gift. You don't need to regret it. You don't need to deny it. It's a gift. And she says, the second thing God wants you to know today is that when your heart breaks, God's not going to leave your heart broken. That God's going to be there to put it back together. She said, it, it may not happen overnight. But God's going to put your heart back together. This is what our God does. Our God, throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Ezekiel, and, and we see it so clearly in and through Jesus, that God takes broken hearts, broken people, broken relationships, and God puts them back together. So when it comes to the breath of God, the breath of God can renew your mind and restore your heart and redeem relationships. It can redeem all of creation. The breath of God can come to speak breath and life into a soul that is lost. And if someone who doesn't know God, the breath of God can create life. The breath of God can sustain life. And maybe a better way to say it is what? What can't the breath of God do? So even in this season, may the breath of God have its way with us. I want to invite you. If there's anything we can do for you, we have a needs form on our website. And on that needs form, there are some components on there where if you are interested and you feel the call of God for baptism or something we can pray for, or leave it in a comment section. And wherever you're watching this right now, reach out to a leader in this church. We want to help you know God. We want to come alongside of you the best we can. And right now, um, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to go into a time of communion for the bread and the cup. So right there in your house where you are, would you please bow your heads, close your eyes. And God, no matter where we are in life right now, I pray you open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see that this story of an empty tomb is a story that changes everything. Today, give us hearts that celebrate it and hearts that respond to its power. May the same power that was able to lift Jesus out of a grave be upon us, be upon your church, be upon this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.